a Bulldog Radio podcast. The Ferris State Bulldogs have upset the nation's number two ranked team. Wide open, Taylor is going to take this one to the house. Touchdown, Bulldogs! It's the MVSP Season 4, Episode 51. Man, we made it past that big 50 mark brand, Whoop. and we're rocking it out. Just a month left of classes. A month till I'll, I'll probably be out of here in a month till summer vacation. Time is flying, Brandon, which is wild. That's sad. Now yeah, I'm man. sad, but it's okay. We had yeah. a great show for you today. Ryan Pilon stopped by on Ice Reporter for the Division One Bulldog hockey team as well. Full Ferris State rundown. What happened this weekend? A lot of chaos, including some weather that we'll discuss here later on the show as well. March Madness finally coming to an end. It feels like we just were yesterday talking about the whole bracket of 64. And now there's just two. And it'll be over after tonight. Mm-hmm. How Which sad is, is that? You hate to see it. Hate you to really, see it. really do. But I think it's going to be a good episode. Regardless, we're going to bring the heat for you guys. And we can't wait to get it going. Absolutely. So without further ado, let's swing it to the interview. Now joining us in studio, Ryan Pilon, Fair State Athletics intern, as well as on-ice interviewing host for Fair State Hockey. Ryan, welcome back to the show, man. It is an honor to be here. An honor. Wow. It's good to have my it's good to have my intermission report co-host here on me on here as well. But Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the show. First question for you. I mean, you're one of the younger interns for Ferris Athletics, but I mean, just talk about how uh, that first came to be doing on ice interviews as well as, you know, working for Ferris Athletics. Well, I think it first all started uh, when I applied here to Ferris State and they selected Dr. Sandy Alspa as my advisor. She's been a crucial part. Shout out. Dr. Uh, Shout out. Yep. She's been a crucial part of my journey here. She actually was the one that sent me a heads up that there was an opening in the, um, on ice interviewing position here at Ferris state. I guess, um, the guy that was doing it wasn't, uh, just wasn't doing it. What was doing, a, a some, uh, a, a, a little more, uh, around here at Ferris state. It was Travis Hicks mm-hmm. who had it before me. Uh, shout out Travis. Shout out. Shout out our boy Travis, dude. Yep. And so Dr. A uh, told me to contact Harrison Watt, just get in touch with him. And so I emailed him and I was like, what's up with this uh, on ice interviewing position? And he was like, yeah, uh, if you can come in for an interview here at uh, the ice arena, I'll give you a shot at the position. And I, I showed up, I showed up in a suit, I think, because Dr. A was telling me, she was like, I think you got to go in a suit. You got to dress to impress. And I was like, yes. you know what, Dr. A? You got it. I point. think you're right. So I went there in a suit and. Let me guess, was Harrison just in his sweatpants and like a shirt or something like that? <laughs> yeah. If I, can, if I can recall, he was in that, that outfit and he said, yeah, you don't, you did not have to show up with, with a suit because I think you already have the job based on what you emailed me. And I said, well, that, that's fine with me. I mean, if I'm just getting the job right off the bat, uh, that's all I can ask for. Wow. What a, what a story there. What a story. I will say though, out of all of the interns, Ryan shows up Ryan ready is the, to Ryan go. is the best dressed. I will say that. I Ryan, think it's gotta be in that conversation. Is, I mean, Ryan's dripped out all the time. It doesn't matter if it's class or what he's just ready to rock. Drip King for sure. But especially in your time here, Ryan, I mean, especially all of us, we've been through our sports comm journeys together. Obviously you in the same curriculum now, just a couple years behind me and Joe, uh, what's been your experience like in classes as well as being able to intern with athletics and really apply that knowledge from the classroom into the work field? Well, I, I think that there's a lot of important stuff you can gain from the classroom. I've always uh, talked to different people about just the little things that are so important with like, you can take a class like English. You might not think that it'd be good for my career with uh, broadcasting, but being able to write stuff, uh, having to write 14 page papers or whatever we have to do in all these English classes, you know, there's just little things that can help you out. Cause in my eyes, I feel like if I'm writing a lot, then that's going to go into my speech. And as you can tell, it's probably not correlating as much as I would have hoped, but (laughs) um, there's just a lot of different things uh, in classes. I mean, there's a broadcasting class here, which is uh, with me and Joe or no, we are all All three of us. Yeah. I was going to say, you can't forget about writing. Yeah. So there's, there's specific classes that can help you here at Ferris state. Um, These classes will help you out with, like I said, the English classes are adversely helping you out. 
in a different way that you would expect. But when you have these specific classes like broadcasting, which we've been a part of, um, it, it can help you hone your focus and uh, in, in the certain skills that you actually want to um, want to better with, like with me, broadcasting is what I'm going into. So why wouldn't I want to take a broadcasting class? Of course. Or if you want to go, if you're in sports, uh, in the sports communication program mm -hmm. and you want to go into um, journalism, they have designated journalism classes. So I, I, I think the curriculum has, it has its places where you can have a, a specific uh, effect on your career. And you can also have that adverse effect with, um, some of the general ed, uh, requirement classes mm -hmm. like English and maybe not math. I mean, I don't know where I'm going to apply math in the broadcast. Yeah. You ain't wrong with that one. I don't know why we got to take math, but, uh, <laughs> it's interesting. I have a confession. What's up? I haven't taken math since high school. I had to take one math class, I think sophomore year, and that was rough. And it was the COVID one. And I hate uh, COVID it, was freshman, it was freshman year. So then I had to do it like through COVID and online. Ugh. No, no, Not thanks. No, thanks on at all. But definitely, it's definitely very applicable uh, to what you want to do later on in life. But going to that on ice stuff, I mean, have there ever been a spot where you might have some war stories of, you know, some maybe an embarrassing story here and there or like some sometimes where it's where it's gotten uh, a little bit funny to do? Well, I, if the if the roommates are listening, I know that they have right in their mind when I tried to say the word exhibition on on camera uh, to coach Mark Kaufman. I think my question was, I want to start out saying uh, exhibition game here tonight. Uh, some, so, some, some along the lines of that. Oh yeah. I remember but, like, where you wanted to say like exhibition game and it was like, are you guys still going to like take it as seriously or something? like something along those lines, not it, like as cut and dry, but yeah, it, it was something like that, but I really messed up and I was like exhibit ex exhibition. Uh, yeah. I don't know how to say that word. <laughs> <coach>. <laughs> <laughs> and this was live on television. That's, yeah, that's oh, yeah. even better. <laughs> live, on, live, live on Flow Sports, and you know, to for advice for anyone that's trying to get in this field that's listening, you want to make sure you know the words you're trying to say before. See, I was playing it in my head. I was like, exhibition game, exhibition game. Yeah, I got it, I got it. And then I go out there. I'm like, exa, exa, uh, what? what am I <laughs> We're to just going to skip that one. We're just going to keep it rolling. Yeah. Oh, that's great. But I, th I think that's definitely the thing with sideline reporting, obviously on ice reporting, like you're going up and you're writing these statements. Like I know, like we've been up in the booth together, Ryan, and you are writing down everything that you're seeing from that period, getting all of your details aligned to get those questions together. And it's like compared to like play by play and color, for example, I mean, we're just kind of shooting and going off the cuff what we see. Like you're just calling, calling out what you see necessarily where in reporting, you're articulating all of that and you're really taking 20 minutes of ice time and everything that happened and you're putting it into two minutes, three minutes to talk to coaches. I mean, that's a tough thing to do when it comes to that question process of creating those things. What are those things that you're looking out for on the ice that you're like, yeah, that's something I'm going to ask them about here in the upcoming period intermission. Well, it, it's definitely a, a, a different experience. Like you said, from like color and play by play. So where I first start is I have my notepad right on my desk and I watched the whole entire 20 minutes. Now that I've, um, am doing the intermission report here with Joe for Ferris. Shout State. out. Shout out. I, I, I've switched to writing down a lot of my notes, writing down what happened in each goal, who scored the goals. But in terms of the questions, in the first period, I interview a player because that's what they want me to do. And in the, in the, after the second intermission, I interview a coach. So for the player, I sit there and I hope that someone scores for Ferris State because that makes my job so much easier. Because when a player scores, you can ask them about the goal. And then that makes my, my selection of, um, who I'm going to interview, uh, really easy. So and they probably know that it's like, oh yeah, deals yeah. scored, deals go over there. You, you scored. You're going to talk to them. Yeah, and then yeah, they can mentally prepare for uh, the interview, which uh, some of them have a, a bit hard time with me uh, trying to figure out some some of the answers they they want to think up. But when a, when a player doesn't score, that's when the the real issue arises, where I have to figure out who I want to pick. And after you do so many. Uh, after you do so many interviews with different players, I want to get, I want to get uh, different players in my interviews. So I'll be, I'll do Jason Branshaw, who's super good, but then I don't want to keep on doing Jason Branshaw every single game because uh, what are the viewers are, are going to get out of that? So I'll pick like Matt Slick, who's the captain or uh, Brendan McLaren, who's also another captain. 
but I'll also try to get some freshmen to get some freshmen insight. But after I get all of those people, it's so hard to pick um, who I want. So I, so that's when you, that's when it's really important to watch the game, to formulate your questions because you have to, to look and find out who, even if the, even if no one scores, who is playing their best game or who's taking the hardest stand for Ferris State on the ice. And that's when I write, I normally write down, uh, two to three questions. Uh, you know, you, you want to get, you want to fill that slot of like a minute, tw- uh, two minute interview. I know it's been said that my questions are pretty long. I think it was a prop bet. <laughs> yeah, there was, there, uh, there was a prop bet. It was like, what was it? It was going to be like a, one question was going to go over 27 and a half words or something like I that. I want to say that was something like that. And I think everybody, and, uh, I think you over. smashed out of the water. With I like think a it was 40, 40 yeah. Question or something like that. <laughs> well, the, the, the long questions give the interviewee a sense of what they want to base their answer off of. If say, you it, gives ju- them, it gives them time to think of what they want to say. Yes. If you go down there and you're like, how is your power play? They're going to be like, uh, good. Uh, it's good. I don't know. <laughs> like, but it, but if you go down there and you're like, so you guys got zero shots on the power play, and I didn't think you guys had around zero seconds of zone time. I don't know. It, this is just a hypothetical question. But then that they can base their answer off of that. They're like, yeah, you're right. We got zero shots, and that that's where uh we want to step up our game. We got to get in the zone, get a, a lot of zone possession. And just get more shots because if you don't get a shot, you're not going to put it in the back of the net. Mm-hmm. And especially with that too, like, cause there's been times where you've had to interview Daniels after the game uh, with the post game and all that stuff. But you know, is it ever tough to have to go into a spot where it's like either a terrible period or a terrible, terrible game. And you have to lead off with the first question and try to get some, uh, get some answers out of these players and coaches, even when they're in a pretty bad mood. Yes. It's very difficult and I don't want to throw us under the bus, but recently Ferris state hockey Hasn't been performing that well, it, but you know, as of last year, they've done so it picked, much. Picked better. it up a so little much bit. Better. Yeah, yeah, it's recent, a, yeah, it's a lot more fun to watch. But yes, uh, going down there, I think almost every time uh, this season for our home games, not every time, but more than half the time when I go down for that second intermission interview, I think we've been losing, and that's pretty difficult because. I know it's real. It's really important to go down there and have a lot of fun uh, with your questions, have a lot of fun with the interviewees, and keep it positive because that's a, that's the type of inter- interview anyone wants to watch. But when the team's losing, you have to go down there with some uh, crucial hard questions and get, try to get out of the coach. Um, what what what's going wrong with our play? When the questions aren't positive or when we're not winning going into the third period, those are the only questions I can really ask because I don't want to be like. Oh well, coach, what are you doing this weekend? You gonna have a fun because he's not he's not gonna he's not gonna respond well to that question because he's not in a good mood. We're, we've been losing, we've been um, not playing right. And a little story here: I went down for an interview with Coach Kaufman, and I was like, I just want to know what your thoughts on that last period was. Like, what 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 went wrong? And he was like, Yeah, we, we played like uh, a. It was a dog's breakfast out there. The, 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 I remember that oh, one. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think that, I yeah. dog's yes. breakfast. Oh gosh, that is funny. But I mean, especially when it comes to just the the overall collaboration. Obviously, you got to work with Harrison or Brody or myself in the booth or whoever's doing color. Um, when it comes to that relationship as well, it's just the whole intern group. I mean, we've interviewed a lot of guys. Obviously, roommate Sean and obviously a lot of the other um, the interns within that group. Uh, when it comes to just that whole collaboration, I mean, what's been your experience being a part of that group and being able to work these games with some of the people that you're studying with? Well, it it. it you don't have to pick favorites also since we're in the room, but you know. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, Joe and Brandon are definitely the best athletic interns that are out there. Yeah, you they, know it. You know it. No, you know it, dude. But yeah, the the group of the athletic interns, I mean, even like not doing the work, we have such a bond outside of work. And I think that's so important when you are going into work because if you don't have a, a strong bond out of work, the the work you're the work then the collaboration you guys are going to be doing um especially as, as an athletic intern group um it, it's not, it's not going to shine as well but yeah the the, the group we have here is it's just so great and i'm very happy that i've come into ferris state and have met so many people uh that i can easily work with and so many nice people with uh like all of our athletic interns 
everyone's just so nice. And I think we were uh, all work really well together. How was that like to have, you know, like your roommate, Sean, like each time uh, be around, like in that, in that workspace, because I mean, especially we joke around all the time with each other, kind of like oh, some yeah. roast and stuff like that. But how is that to be able to like go back home? And if you have maybe a embarrassing question, like you said, I mean, what's that like, especially going back and Sean's going to keep on giving it to you? Well, uh, I like to rewatch my interviews pretty much every Every game, uh, we go back home and I watch the interviews. I want to get that input from Sean and my other roommates. And when those times when I'm like, X, uh, X, uh, uh, I don't know what the word this is. <laughs> I'm like, okay, guys, we're going to sit down and watch this interview and you're going to see something pretty funny, but I need some constructive criticism. I know that I said the word wrong. I don't need you to tell me that so much. <laughs> but yeah, working with Sean and look, and all the other athletic interns, you know, Sean's sitting next to me the entire game and it's good to, to keep up with the work, but it's also good to have that comic relief right next to you who I can, uh, talk, you know, I can talk to him about the questions I'm writing mm -hmm. or just have a quick conversation with him. Uh, that's not even about what's going on because, well, I mean, it's good to have your mind focus on work all the time, but when it's getting pretty stressful, you want to have that, that bit of comic relief. And Sean's the perfect candidate for that. I think sitting right next to me and we got Cammie Sanderson right next to us, you know, that th there's just a lot going on right there. And it, it's just great to have him right next to me. <laughs> Absolutely. We have a good time. Well, final question for you, Ryan, I'd like to ask everyone on we have on the show. It's been your favorite thing about being here at Ferris State and being a bulldog. Well, I think I've watched some of your guys' interviews and on a personal standpoint, of course, it's the people that are around us. As we said, the athletic interns, just the whole community here at Ferris State is so welcoming and so nice. And everyone here just works so hard, which is great. But on a work and professional standpoint, I would say the sports career, or uh, not sports careers, RSO, the sports communication program uh, and Dr. Ray and so many uh, other aspects, they just, the opportunities that you can get out of um, just being here at Ferris State. Uh, like I said, Dr. A was the one, she, she was just like, yeah, there's an opening for the online interviewer at Ferris State or for the Ferris hockey team. And you should uh, take advantage of that. And I was like, okay. And then another example of an opportunity I just had was um, just this last weekend, I went to, down to East Kentwood High School and they had the uh, first robotics competition there. And Dr. Ray emailed me a couple of weeks ago and she was like, yeah, the uh, Ferris TDMP program is uh, doing a lot of the TV for this uh, robotics event and they need a color person to do that. And I was like, okay, I, 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 yeah. I, I've never, I've never done color commentary. So, and this is the field I want to go into. I want to do some color commentary. So I took, I, I took the opportunity and I emailed, uh, Bill Jung and I was like, so there's this color commentary position. Uh, what's this about? And he was like, um, come in for an interview and I'll see, see if you're right fit. And I went in and I got the part. And then when I went down to East Kentwood, you guys would not expect how great it's of an, wild, dude. How it's crazy. Great of an crazy. atmosphere uh, robotics is. It's, it's just electric like, factory. Yeah. Like I, I know we're all uh, sports careers and, uh, they've told me that they don't really classify uh, re these robotic competitions as a sport, but uh, the atmosphere of the robotics uh, community and the competitions down there is just such a great experience. But going back, it's just the opportunities that Ferris State can provide. You might not expect it, but having like such a great advisor with Dr. A, um, she's always been emailing me all these opportunities, e even if it's something that I don't really uh, like Oh, there's a sales opportunity. I'm not good with sales and I'm probably not going to be going into that. So I don't jump on that opportunity, but for anyone else, there's, there's so many different opportunities, not even just with broadcasting, um, that can come out of the sports, uh, sports communication major. Absolutely. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. And I uh, hopefully have a good rest of your day. Thank you guys for having me. And as I said, it's an honor to be here.
Big thanks to Ryan for hopping by and telling his story. Certainly has been great to see uh, a fellow classmate grow as much as he has. I mean, he does a great job. And just to hear his story, certainly glad that the fans could experience that and learn something as well. Because it's a hard job to do on ice reporting. I mean, that is not my cup of tea. I can guarantee you that. Ain't no hobby is what it is. Ain't no hobby. Ain't no hobby. Got to be good at it. But we'll take a quick break. When we come back, Ferris State Sports Report and Bracketology right here on the MBSP. Now hopping right into the Fair State Sports Report. We're going to start rocking on tennis. It's a big weekend for both teams. Men's and women's got the job done with a weekend split. Men's was able to get the sweep. Women's were able to snap that seven-game losing streak that they were on, which is pretty huge for the program, Brandon. Huge for the program. This team desperately needed it. And I know we talked to Coach Doran last week, which obviously you can check out in the feed below if you haven't already. Very good interview. Got some really good feedback from Coach Doran's interview. I'm glad he could stop by the show. Uh, but definitely just that momentum of really coming into this series, knowing, I mean, these are the games that you know you want to get really bad if you're the women's side as well. And obviously they got the win and obviously did so in a dominant fashion. I saw a couple posts from the players. So relieved to finally get that win. And I mean, especially for um, just the hardships and just the, the, just the treacherous battle to get back into the winning column is something that really is tough. And I mean, especially with how those games were played, a lot of them uh, going to fourth, third, fourth sets, potentially. I mean, that's just a really tough task when you, when it comes down to it, uh, or I shouldn't say fourth sets, second and third sets, I should say, um, when it came, some of them even had to go into extra points as well. Um, So, I mean, that's a really tough, real tough opponent. Uh, And obviously they put up a very good fight. We came right out. We got a Big time, big time win in the doubles. That was a huge momentum swing. And then obviously our first couple pairings got the ball rolling, got that immediate fourth point. And that was really a huge, huge bonus for that team. And I think that's really starting to show that they're starting to get their stride a little bit. Now coming into a lot of these uh, really good, uh, really good pairings up with Grand Valley coming up next. Uh, But I mean, especially you had a lot of individual winners overall, um, especially the top three, Sophie, as well as Morgan and Parker all getting sweeps. Um, in the individual side, as well as some of the getting the wins um, in the double side as well in the top two pairings. But I mean, this was just a huge win. I mean, we can break it down and obviously go through the match. But I think the biggest thing was finally got the slump over. And that's mm-hmm. just a huge momentum swing because there's a big win this weekend. Uh, but just finally getting back the relief and just being able to go back, really get back into practice saying, yeah, we won last week. Now let's get after it and get it even more. Just that momentum, such a huge side of this team. And especially with tennis altogether, momentum is really what can make you uh, from a good to a great team, especially in the postseason. Yeah. And especially with the game before the Davenport win against Purdue Northwest for the women, like that was a tough one because there was, we won the doubles point. We were able to go in. We, I think we were pretty much close to kind of putting away because I think Morgan won her first set. She was leading the second set, but then she kind of uh, had a little bit of a hiccup and ended up losing that one. And then I, I forget who the other one are. Was, I know it was our four spot, I believe, uh, that went pretty much down to the wire all the way through. And she was uh, the only one playing for about like four or 45 minutes or so just by herself. And then to be, I think it was... Uh, I remember Maria Anna, I think. I can't remember, to be honest. I went to the I went to it, but also I don't know the names of people. Like I can't match faces to names yet. And also the thing at the racket center is they don't have like a scoreboard. So that is like, true. I wish there was there, a scoreboard. Like, if you're just there, like you don't know like who like what people are playing. So you're just basically going off vibes at that point. But anyways, that was a tough one because there was a really solid chance for us to be able to get the weekend sweep, uh, but just kind of fell short. We ended up losing four to three in that one. But I think that really solid thing is we didn't lose doubles at all this week, this weekend, which was a huge uh, thing, especially like you said, for momentum, that's kind of what can really set you up for uh, some really solid play, but it's just the singles. I think where we just got to pick it up a little bit and we did it against Davenport uh, to be able to get a really solid win. But for the men's side, uh, same as always, just kept on trucking. They're really, really playing solid right now. They're on a five-game win streak, uh, especially to be able to kind of start that down in Florida and keep that going is really, really impressive. And the one thing, too, that you got to look at is uh, for the GLIAC standings. I mean, especially for the women's, you got Grand Valley coming up, who's number one. However, with the men's, I think Grand Valley is number four. But overall, they're one of the better teams kind of in the region. So it's going to be one of the more interesting matches here, especially going to Grand Valley. We're not going to have that home court advantage like we usually do. However, uh, we've been playing really solidly. A bunch of the guys have been stepping up. I mean, Yannick has been playing really solid. Uh, 
Sungay Dumbe, hopefully I said his name right, has been a really solid addition to the team, uh, being a freshman with that. And I mean, Jan Copeland, especially uh, Jan and uh, Ben starting up that number one for the doubles has been a really solid momentum booster too. So it's going to be uh, some pretty solid tennis being played against Grand Valley on Saturday, uh, which we'll obviously talk a little bit more about. But yeah, this weekend was pretty solid performances from both teams. Yeah, it was certainly great performances. And obviously we saw what the momentum of that Wayne State win did for the men's team as well. I mean, the big time dominant win against Purdue Northwest, obviously Davenport, the full sweep. And those are the type of things. And it wasn't necessarily even just straight up domination. I mean, it was, there was no third set needed in individual single Mm -hmm. play. I mean, complete dominance across the board. And that just shows their confidence in their play right now. They had some great pairings. They knew it. They took care of business against Purdue Northwest that really fold over into Davenport as well. Uh, Shout out as well. Casper with his first win um, in that singles pairing he got in there on Saturday or on Saturday. So shout out to him as well. Uh, but I think overall, really good, really good weekend. Obviously, uh, would have loved to see four wins instead of three, but you're going to take three almost every weekend you can. I mean, especially for how good the GLIAC is. I mean, obviously, Coach Dorn mentioned that last week. Uh, that's absolutely crucial going into this weekend because a lot of good teams coming up. I mean, especially for the road test, obviously going to Grand Valley. I'm um, going to be taking on Tech later on on their senior day. That's obviously going to be another uphill battle to climb just outside of the tennis itself. Uh, and then going to have to go up to Lake State as well later on here um, to finish out GLIAC play. So a lot of traveling yet to do. Hopefully we got that process down. We can bring that over on the road, get some wins, stay on the top and, and push our way through. And we'll get to the GLIAC tournament at the, April, uh, at the end of April and we'll be ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Can't wait for it. It's going to be a pretty solid uh, end to April. It's going to be a quick month, as uh, Coach Doran said when we talked to him before. But now, what else do we want to talk about, Brandon? Want to hop into softball? Yeah, let's do it. Softball was in action a little bit tougher of a weekend for them. They're still on a little bit of a skid here, uh, especially facing Davenport over on Sunday, yesterday, right? Yep, it would have been Sunday as we're recording yeah. this on Monday, yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of a tough one. And then uh, you also played Saginaw Valley as it was moved uh, on Tuesday of last weekend, which we didn't really talk about too much. But, I mean, still, to be able to have this these two games, it was a little bit slower scoring than what we're used to uh, for these past two games. But especially, uh, I think you just got to, like, realize that we're just kind of, I don't know, our offense is very inconsistent, if you know what I mean. I mean, yeah, I think when it comes down to it, this team really hasn't found that grip to finish games. And I think the consistency, I think I know where you're kind of going on that track. And I mean, Coach Schumann's squad is very talented, very, yeah, very talented. We have as much talent as a lot of these teams in the GLIAC. And the thing is, is we have a lot of these, these bursts and spurts. And that's the thing that really has hurt us, especially with over the last couple of games. And I'm not necessarily slandering the team for, for that whole necessary scenario, uh, but I mean, when especially in that second game, we were in the driver's seat, right? We were in that position on Sunday with the lead, and eventually we just ran out of gas, gave up five in the seventh. They We were up three-nothing. We lost five-three. All five, five runs came in the top of the seventh inning, right? It's just closing those games, finishing out the job that you did because they did the dirty work that entirety part of those first four innings. I mean, getting up to nothing, then adding an insurance run in the fifth, you were in the driver's seat. You were doing very well. And I mean, that was absolutely crucial. I mean, Christy Gray had a really good game going. Uh, Obviously, didn't quite get all the way through um, to try to finish it. But uh, I mean, just definitely that that lack of depth in the in the pitching realm, in the bullpen, obviously in the starting rotation um, is a tough thing for a team to go through. And obviously, you're going to have to reuse arms uh, quite a few in these double headers is this GLIAC format is. Um, so that's a tough thing to do. But uh, I mean, this team just really hasn't quite found a grip, I should say, on just really being able to go through and finish out in these games. And it's just a, in, a, in a sport like softball, it is a very hard thing to do because it is a very momentum-driven sport, right? Because obviously yeah. a team can do that. They can go through the game, be dominating one run at a time, two run at a time, three run at a time. But then a team gets lucky in the eighth or the sixth or whatever in whatever baseball or softball you're in and they throw up a seven crooked number on you and they can still win the game even though they played like absolute trash for six innings. 
right? So, I mean, we're playing great softball in the sense of we're being able to manufacture runs and we're able to get these leads, but we're just giving them up before we can have an opportunity to secure that W. And that's just a frustrating thing as a fan because we're seeing them getting that process and getting better, but it's just not showing up in the wind column. And it's just a real struggle for them right now. Yeah. And that's the tough thing is you can play really solidly uh, <laughs> for 99% of the game. And there's just one little spot where it might be hiccup and that can just be yep. enough to topple the domino and have a, a really big run by the other team, uh, which is, you know, the toughest part about softball because you can, it's the thing is with softball and baseball, you know, you're failing 70% of the time. Right. And when you do that, you're still playing better than over half the people you're playing. Right. And so you get to a point then where you're playing well, but you have those situations where you're just kind of come up a little bit short and it's a little bit of a momentum killer. And it's going to be tough because especially Grand Valley coming up uh, at the start of next week, you know, they're top of the GLIAC. They're one of the better teams in the region. Again, uh, as they perennially are most of the time, uh, and it's going to be a tough one. But I think, you know, if we just start off strong and stay aggressive on the base pads and just stay aggressive with our hitting, that's the one thing is when we do have people in scoring position, these past couple of games has just been we're swinging the bat, but we're not really going for some of those uh, those mistakes, whereas those first pitch strikes where we can really kind of come on top of it and really get some uh, get some runs going. It's just it's little stuff like that where it's just got to get picked up some, and I think we'll be able to do it. It's going to be tough, especially with the Lakers, but I think we're going to be pretty solid. Yeah, we're stealing bases. We're finding our way to – it's just getting on base, right, mm -hmm. especially early on in innings. That's been the tough part. And then when we do, we end up getting it rolling, obviously. I mean, we had five stolen bases in that second game. I mean, we were showing that we could move up on the base paths. Just got to get people on base. Yeah, just got to get people on base. Obviously, extra base hits is where this team really shine. In Florida, we haven't quite seen that translate just yet. Uh, a little bit of slump with the bats. Might need a campfire before this upcoming game here today <laughs> on a, as well uh, at 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock at Allendale as well as on Friday, Purdue Northwest as well as Wisconsin Parkside at home for a doubleheader of GLIAC play for this weekend. So We'll cover that on Thursday's show. You're coming up. Moving over now, cross country track and field action. I shouldn't say cross country, but yeah, more track and cross field. Country's over, but it's a habit, but Hilltopper you know, relays, baby. Hilltopper relays. How was it, Brandon? It was an You run fast. You have a good time. It was an experience and a half. I'll, I'll explain. From your B reels, it was nice weather. Some of it. Yeah, some of it. It was Saturday, was very nice. Yeah. As far as aesthetic wise, wind was not fun. We ended up, so the whole story of this meet, um, there's a lot of times probably people have seen and probably a lot of people out there are like, man, the, with some of these, some of these competitors, especially like, uh, I mean the throwers, especially some of the sprinters as well. And even the distance guys like myself, I know my race was absolutely pitiful. Um, but there was a lot of elements going through that trip that really made it tough to compete. And we obviously fought through it and did really well uh, at the end of the day. But uh, going through Friday, I mean, we had, I believe, three different weather delays, maybe even four, uh, including one right before um, myself and my teammates, as well as ladies in the 5K. Literally, we're at the starting line. The starting gun went off and then boom, lightning and thunder. Whole night canceled the rest of the way through. So pretty much had to wake up up tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. to try to tee it up, rewarm up and do it again. And it was 25, 30 mile per hour winds that morning. It was just a brutal, brutal task. And I know that I pretty much um, really would, did not do my best mentally or physically do battling those elements. So it was pretty, pretty bad performance for myself, but obviously learned a lot of things from that. Uh, some teammates did very well as well, uh, but it was just a really tough weekend going through. And I mean, just having to battle the winds all day, uh, it was on and off. It was just a very, inconsistent uh, weekend, which obviously there wasn't, it, it we not nothing we could really control. And that was the hardest part yeah. is the weather was just really wreaking havoc all weekend. It was really hard to find a real perfect place, uh, but still got a lot of wins. Obviously, Whitney Farrell, 5K champion, as well as Sydney Kubiak right there in second as well. Uh, Danae Feldsposh winning the 800. Daisy England was right there in second. Nia Tyron, her first 400 hurdler of the season, got second as well. Uh, Rana Copley, third in the discus as well. Emma Stefan, fifth in that spot. Donis Harris still broke four in the 1500. It was an impressive time with the wind um, at 358. Uh, Noah Griffith led the way for our 5K crew, followed by Brennan Kearney and Dan Hardesty, 345 respectively. Um, and, and there was still some really good sound performances and throws as well. I mean, Kyle Drew was sixth in the hammer throw. Um, but I think it was just really hard process to go through that meet and just being able to, because I know a lot of a lot of uh, teammates were saying the same thing. It was just hard to find a really good rhythm of where you were at in your 
routine throughout mm-hmm. the day because it was just a lot of rain. There was some thunderstorms early on on Friday morning. Then it starts warming up. You're thinking, okay, now here we go again. Boom, another pocket storm hits. Got to halt, start over, push back, do it all over again. Then yeah. you finally get through. It's raining and it's like, all right, we just want to get the gun off and let's go. And then obviously the thunder wreaks havoc kicks us out of Fridays into Saturday. And there's a lot of competition that were canceled and even moved over. So it was just a really hard thing to find that consistency of routine this weekend. But we still battled, did our best, uh, beat some D1 teams, and that was definitely a a high spot. Uh, But Oakland will be a really nice, uh, really nice motivator coming up because I know a lot of us uh, on the team talking with a lot of teammates were happy, but obviously hungry because we didn't perform as well as we wanted to in the ideal conditions we were hoping down there. Uh, But it's still going to be a good weekend upcoming here at Oakland. I know myself, I'm ready to rip really bad after this last weekend. Sure you are. So we'll have some good performances down there for sure at Golden Grizzly on Saturday in Rochester. Uh, But still, I mean, it was just, it was a good experience. The trip overall was really fun. I have have a couple stories I could tell from that trip for sure. Seeing your B-reels and stuff, I saw you were cranked up in the the van a couple of times, but uh, still, but I mean, especially like you were saying, like it's not for track and field. I feel like is a really mental sport mm-hmm. to be able to get over. Like if you're not feeling a hundred percent and you have a big race coming up and you're like hurting somewhere, it's like, yeah, that battle within yourself to just get, say, okay, it's time to race is one of the toughest things. Yep. But then to also say, okay, we got 20, 30 mile an hour wins. We got rain. We got all this stuff I got to deal with just throws a complete monkey wrench on the whole thing. And to be able to combat that and to take over for that is one of the most impressive things. And I think even with, you know, all the weather to say, to show how well the team uh, performed this year or this, uh, this meet leaps and bounds. Yeah, it's definitely just a tough thing to go through um, when it comes to the sport of track and field. Because, I mean, a lot of teams, obviously softball right now is doing is really in the same boat, right? How many times have they rescheduled and canceled games? I mean, that's a tough thing to go through when you are prepping so long through your routine to warm up, get everything just right for the game, and then, boom, gone. Weather, see you later, yeah. we're coming back tomorrow. It's like, got to restart the whole process again. It's a tough thing to do, especially in the world of college athletics, where every game means something. Every meet means something. Every race, every single event, every single contest means everything when it comes to how the season is. I mean, we only have six outdoor races and it's boom, 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 boom. Not a lot of time to miss, right? It is, it is go time from the get go quick, fast, in a hurry. And that's the thing that really kind of gets you that urgency um, when it came to this weekend. Because obviously we went down there for the nice weather. We went there to get that 60 degree weather we saw on Saturday. We just didn't plan for the thunderstorm the whole Friday as well as the winds early on Saturday. So that was just the hard, a hard thing to adjust to. And we weren't quite ready for that because uh, obviously we went there two years ago. Absolutely beautiful weather. It's a little bit on the hot side. Uh, it's like 75 degrees. I think it was two years ago. This year it was only like 65, which was honestly nicer. Uh, but the wind just made it almost impossible. Well, I mean, especially a lot of the distance races. Um, you know, a lot of guys were competing at hundred percent effort, but only seeing, uh, 80% on results. And that was just the hard part to see, uh, from that weekend, but a lot of good things still brought from that. We showed, we can still fight. We can still grit because we still had a lot of winners and a lot of great performances yeah. across the board. But the good thing is for those, especially that got that and use that momentum, obviously for people like myself that really kind of crap the bed, then you got a next week this weekend where it'll be kind of reset. Uh, hopefully not enough, not the same amount of weather. I please pray that that never happens again. Um, but it'll certainly be a great weekend coming up and we're looking forward to getting back on the track and getting ready to throw rip and sprint all over again because that's the beauty about this sport there's always going to be another one eventually down the road so going to be great time and can't wait for it absolutely brandon yeah that's going to be a big thing can't wait to see what you guys do final sport we're going to hop into the fair state sports report is golf yes We'll have, we'll have one golf break. Swing, <laughs> we're swinging on the links. Well, uh, many of them are already competing today. Uh, I mean, women's golf, obviously, NC4K Classic. Uh, so Coach Stark squad already down there competing today. So trying to figure out some live stats here um, from that, as well as the men's over at Music City Invitational um, down south. So uh, haven't quite gotten all the scores in yet. Some teams have already teamed off. Some are teamed off, teed off already. Some teams are still waiting to tee off uh, from both of those ones. So we'll get Get that for you on Thursday, that whole recap, how that team's doing. But I mean, they've been doing very well so far this season for sure. So uh, really looking forward to seeing how they do um, down there. I mean, you're starting to get outside again, starting to get that groove a little bit because then again, they've been in that boat a little bit with the weather. It's just a tough thing in the spring to deal with because Mother Nature in Michigan can just be a pain in the rear. And it's just a real tough time 
to get outside, get some good quality work in because you're relying on the weather and it's just a pain being able to get out there. And because one day it could be obviously really nice. The next day it's absolute crap. And it's just a tough thing to deal with. And I've, it's really never felt like I, I like feel obviously very emotional from this last weekend, but it feels like this year, I mean, just this whole, like, especially through this winter, it's just been a toss up from what we've gotten. It doesn't feel like a no, like we have these problems in, the seasons throughout like the multitude of the year. Yeah. But I don't feel like it's been as sporadic. It feels like since we've had this year, cause we have not had consistent weather at all. The weather this year has been buns, man. I mean, I'm not even gonna lie. Like straight up ever. Okay. So every year there's always a full spring. It doesn't, it doesn't yep. matter. It's all like, it'll be super cold and it'll jump up to like 60, 70 for like three days. And for like spring's back, it's fine. And we have another snowstorm and it goes right back to it. And then everybody's depressed and wants to not be here anymore. And then, you know, you have another one. But this year, there's been like four full springs. There's been like snow and then a 60 degree day the next day and then just two straight days of rain and then snow again. It gets down to like 24, then it'll jump up to 50. It's classic Michigan weather, but like this year especially has been just absolutely wild in terms of trying to plan anything when you're outside because that's the toughest part. And then to be able to try to have sports during that time is just ludicrous because you can't even uh, depend on any type of schedule because, Hey, it might get rained out or it might get snowed out. Hey, you can actually have a nice day to have a good, have a good softball game or something like that, where it's going to be 60 and sunny. And then the next day is going to be 40 and raining snowy and all that garbage. So that's the one tough part, especially for golf to be, have to deal with that. It's never easy. Uh, but I think we've been doing pretty solid as the men's are also in action right now. So far tied six with Northwood, they're plus four, uh, through nine. So there you go. So that's the live update. We'll update you on Thursday on the final results down there from both of those tournaments down yes, south. So uh, I did find something here before we move over into bracketology. What's that? Midwest versus everybody. I don't know if you follow it on Twitter. It's obviously uh, Midwest parody. Obviously, people from the Midwest can relate to a lot of their content and stuff. I found a list of the seasons that somebody actually made, and I think it's just so funny um, the way that this is put about. So I'll read them here. Uh, the first one, obviously, is winter. We obviously know Michigan winter uh, can just be a pain. Then you have full spring obviously obviously late january early february you get a little glimpse for maybe a couple days at a time maybe 40 50 and then you get second winter obviously you get a blizzard of absolutely just dumpage then you have spring of deception where you obviously uh, late end of february early of march you start to get you know a couple of these warm days and spurts a little bit it might rain a little bit in between uh, and then you have the third winter, uh, the third fool's winter you could probably mention, which we had, I think, what was it, last or two weeks ago, um, just before the uh, the start of April, where we were pretty much, I remember this specifically, I think it was Thursday, we were out for a workout, 55 degrees, we're all in short sleeves, and it was absolutely beautiful. And then the next day is 20 and snowing. Then the next day was at like 50 and sunny. And then it was sleeting on Friday or Saturday or whatever it was. It's like, this just makes no sense. The third, the, the third winter, the fool's third, the fool's third winter. There you go. Then there's the pollening, uh, later on. I think that one was pretty accurately worded there. Um, then you have actual spring later on with the, obviously getting the rain later on, um, in April, as we'll probably see here later on. Then you have summer, believe it or not, eventually down the road. This can be early or later, obviously, <laughs> just depending on when it starts. Uh, then you have the devil's front porch where it is just a 90 degree, just a buzzsaw of humidity outside. And that's gross. Then you have false fall, which I think is the most funniest season ever where it's like, oh yeah, now it's starting to rain. And then it's second summer by the time of early September and then even into potentially October where it's still warm, 75 degrees. Uh, and then you end up having actual fall later on uh, pretty much until the snow falls. So I thought that was an accurate depiction I wanted to share. Uh, you can, I think it's pretty funny though. That it makes sense. sense. Yeah. I mean, we have, I think I saw that too. That's yeah, honestly the, a really accurate description. Yeah. I mean, when you read something like the pollening, people are like, what are you talking about? We're like Midwest it's like, people. It's like Armageddon. We know we're talking, we know exactly it's what the, it is. It's the end times is, yeah. is what old, old hoots might say. Yeah. Rip people with allergies. I mean, the devil's front Sneezing porch is going to be wild. Yeah, it's true as well. That one is up. The I one mean, tough part is it's not porch fridge season anymore. So you can't just put drinks out on the porch and have them stay ice cold, which is the worst part about this. But yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, the weather's a battle, man. It is an it absolute really is, battle. Man. So it really is. certainly has been fun. But anyway, finishing out the show here, Bracca, 
Scatology. We have March Madness coming to an end here tonight as you're listening to us live. Shout out to all those who listen to our episodes the day of posting. Appreciate you. If it has already happened, don't worry, we're giving you the preview and you can timestamp it. We are, we don't know the outcome, uh, but we will predict the outcome. So if we're right, we're right. Yeah, my you predictions we're wrong. is wrong. Uh, so that's awesome. <laughs> it happens, man. It, it does. You had I, four good teams in this tournament and yeah, anybody could have won. That is true. Uh, I will say this unpopular opinion. Um, I like that it's like a, there's a lot, uh, there's not very many blue blood teams in this final four. Yeah. I think I would like to see like one or two. <laughs> that would have been cool. Like, cause I feel like, especially a lot of these lower ranked, te- lower seeded teams, like it's cool that they made it there, but like, I would have been cool to see San Diego State like upset, like, or it would have been like cool to see them like upset. I don't know. Like who's number one. Purdue or something like that in the bottom bracket where they had to play or like the two seed, like Marquette, like somewhere it's like a little bit bigger to see like it's an actually true upset instead of you played number nine FAU, who was a hot team. And that was a crazy buzzer beater. I mean, I know you texted me as soon as that happened. Yeah. That was crazy. But that's the one thing is I kind of wish it was a little bit more uh, like... Not as much as like a more disparity, I feel like. And then it'd be cooler to see. Yeah, this Final Four isn't as illustrious. It doesn't have the lore of last year's. Because, you know, you had all the blue bloods in there and it was just like, oh, yeah, this is classic Last year was just paid overtime is what it was. Because (laughs) literally you have UNC Duke and then you have Kansas and Villanova. And that was just wild. Bonkers stuff. But uh, another crazy thing, sorry to cut you off. Another crazy thing is both of these games, the winner... Put up 72 points. I did notice that. Enough. I did notice that. It's just kind of crazy that that had to happen that way. But uh, no, like com- component to your point, I think people just like that historical aspect of seeing a lot of those teams year after year succeed. Yeah. Uh, but I think this year especially has been the favorite of the non-fan or not the non-fan. Let me rephrase the non-following fans out there, right? Because this is the, the like, yeah, a lot of people that don't follow this at all are, are loving, loving this. this. They're loving yeah. this, right? FAU. Oh my gosh. The, the owls we're all in, right? <laughs> it's just completely everywhere. There's billboards, graffiti boards everywhere. That's just FAU all the way. Dusty may, we're going to win this thing. But at the end of the day, obviously the Cinderella doesn't necessarily get all the way through. And that's unfortunate reality that we've seen historically in a lot of these final fours. And that was really the only reason I didn't like uh, FAU in the championship game. Cause I thought them and San Diego state were a very interesting matchup. And obviously yeah. you saw that with that game going down to the buzzer beater there by Mont Butler. But uh, I mean, UConn has been lights out. And I mean, I'm just absolutely loving seeing UConn success as one that's kind of been harping on them since January. Uh, but I mean, there's going to be a very interesting game. I think I went in the predictions um, in the torch, uh, I included a score. I don't think it was included in the article. Um, and I think my, I think my San Diego state FIU was 72 65. So actually you made it even closer. Uh, UConn Miami was a little lower. I think it was 84, 82. I had, it was 72 59 was the final. Um, uh, but UConn showed up defensively. Yeah, I mean, that, that's shut the down. Thing. I knew, especially Miami, them being like, I was talking about last episode, they're a pretty heavy, like three teams. So once they're not hitting, it's going to be a huge debt. Like, it's going to deplete their offense a lot because moving down low is not always their specialty and UConn is just lights out defensively. So it was going to either be, like I said, 90 or like 60 points and UConn obviously just put them down to 60 because they were all holding there. But I think UConn is probably the best team. They were probably the best team in like the Elite Eight, really, out of everything because they just got... I could argue that, yeah. Like they just got real hot. But this game, I, feel, I don't know. I'm excited to see because... I just don't think SDSU has what it takes because I feel like UConn and the conference that UConn is in is just a better basketball conference and they've seen better competition throughout. However, San Diego State, I mean, they're, they've played a lot of solid teams with Alabama and Creighton and stuff like that. Uh, but I, don't know, I still think they're going to be, you know, pretty low, low spot. I think UConn is probably going to win this like 60, sorry, not 65. I'm going to say 75, 75, like 62. Yeah, um, I I had another them, low scoring game. Yeah, I had them winning by 14 as well. I'm double checking my score here. I'm pretty sure that I had written down 78-64. UConn would beat San Diego State, uh, which I 
do believe could happen. I think San Diego State is a good team. Uh, I think defensively they have a, a lot of bright spots. Um, the thing that scares me is their shot creation ability um, is not very good. I mean, obviously they got away with it being on the offensive boards in that second half against FAU where they really just had to get stuff up and let the rebound and go to work because that's how they got extra possessions later in that game to come back and win. Um, but I think when it comes to UConn, I mean, they make – their offense is so fluid. They make plays. They find the right guys, and they go on heat stretches where if you can't keep up, you you unfortunately just ran get run over. And that's what we kind of saw with Miami there, especially early on uh, and later on in that second half. It's just you know, they were just playing catch up for such a long time. I think it was like nineteen nineteen. Then you kind of went on a twenty seven and nine run or something like that. It was ridiculous. You're just like. My gosh, this basketball team is insane because they just have so many players. I mean, Sonogo is a beast down low. He's hard to guard inside by itself. Then obviously you have Donovan Klingon to come in and take minutes from Sonogo, and he's just as good. I mean, he's a very efficient ball player. And then obviously you have Tristan Newton, who is playing very good defensively. Uh, and I mean, they're showing that as well. I mean, obviously Hawkins can absolutely fill it night in and night out um, from beyond the arc as well as Calcaterra. I mean, they, they're just a really good ball club. And as much mm-hmm. as you love guys in San Diego State uh, with Lamont Butler and you like some of their bigger guys as well. Um, I mean, especially the story. I mean, their big man coming over uh, overseas to play in this yeah, national championship. That's, that That's was sweet. a really, yeah. really cool story to see, but... He, I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be a tough test for San Diego state. Cause I, I mean, you looked, I think I looked at a lot of polls this morning that obviously were like, who's going to win it all. Everybody's saying you it's UConn 75% already. I mean, we've never seen a matchup like this. that has been so one-sided. I feel like, cause even yeah. last year it's a one V eight with Kansas, North Carolina. I mean, shoot, it was Carolina. probably 60, 40 to Kansas. Yeah. I mean, they ended up winning, but I mean like people believed in North Carolina. I don't think that many people are believing in San Diego state, unfortunately yeah. for the Aztecs. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate for them. I was watching, I was actually looking some up before I came here uh, to record this episode. This, uh, this matchup for a national championship is the farthest that two schools are from each other uh, in 80 years to play for a for like a national championship of anything. Really? Also, if FAU and Miami won, the games and it was a, that was the national championship. It would, that would have been, been the, the closest, closest that wow. two schools would have ever been um, for competing in a national championship. So that's little crazy. Fun, little fun fact for you for on this Monday afternoon. That's actually kind of bonkers. I mean, those are the kind of stats this tournament has produced all across yeah. the board because we have such wild finishes, interesting stuff in there. But I mean, yeah, I think especially. I, I think it's just going to be a really, really interesting basketball game. I'm not necessarily uh, assuming it's going to be as close probably as some other people are, um, but I'm really looking forward to watching this game. Yeah. I mean, it's a national it's championship. It's going to be high energy. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be buzzing down there uh, in Houston. It's going to be a fun game for sure. I believe 9:20 tip. I know my house will be watching it for sure. Um, I'll be watching as well as everybody around the world. Jill's house, of course. I think everybody's invited, right, over to your house. You know, to watch uh, the national. I'm actually going to Gypsy and for Dollar Taco Night. Oh, it is Dollar taco night so you can find joe at gypsy nickel i'll be, I'll be there for a little bit watching the game for maybe. dollar taco night i've heard joe is absolutely on a tear in the taco game right now okay i did put away 20 one night 20 I, yeah i did 20 How, yeah however i felt like garbage afterward <laughs> i was on the toilet for like three hours <laughs> oh no i would not recommend that but Yes, I do. I do hold the record for most tacos eaten at Gypsy. So I'm there you go. Here. So try to take that away from me if you can. You probably won't be able to. It's a really tough thing to do. But yeah, you're listening to a legend. To anyways. Yeah. Speaking of legends. Yes. Women's bracket. Yes. Just finished yesterday. Kim Mulkey and her great team of LSU took it 102 to 85 <laughs> over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Everybody thought Caitlin Clark was going to be a lead the Hawkeyes to a national championship. But LSU was able to claim their first one. Pretty heated debate as well coming from this game, seeing how uh have you did you see that with uh the you can't see me type deal between the yeah. two? I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. So I think when it comes down to this, which first of all, shout out to LSU and winning their, their first national championship. I mean, the job that Kimoki's done is fantastic. Uh, rebuilding that program in just two years. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, obviously, and I was very impressed. Like I was one that actually filled out a women's bracket. I know you can call me weird um, getting three out of the four, right? Cause it felt like this oh. tournament was kind of, it was kind of more of those popular teams that were up there. The only one that I had that was not correct was Virginia tech getting there. I had UConn instead. So obviously you can tell that I was really, Really looking at the teams that I and that I knew just based off of uh, just uh, overall 
pure seeing them and seeing their games, not necessarily like watching in depth as a lot of the other people did that filled out these brackets. But uh, I mean, sometimes that's the way to win. But when it comes down to that, that national championship game, I mean, Obviously, LSU really came out in a hurry against Iowa, and they really kind of just let it roll from then on out. Uh, but I think that, I mean, this this is the craziest thing, Joe. It's like, we have this national championship game between two good yeah. teams, but it feels like we're not even talking about the game anymore. Yeah. We're talking about the ethics or why we're in the game. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just yeah. something we haven't seen in a long time. That's a tough part. A lot of people were watching this game and had a lot to talk about it. The big thing at the end was, so Kalen Clark, uh, did the you can't see me celebration? I've, was it last game? That was in the final four against, South, final Carolina. Four against yep. South Carolina. And then Angel Reese, who has been dominant this whole tournament, really she good. has been yeah, she's been really good. She did it right back to her after the game was over, uh, as kind of a multiple times. Yeah, multiple times. Um, but the big thing was everybody was kind of all throughout this tournament. She was kind of saying how like I don't know why people are getting annoyed at me. Like this is how I was raised to play basketball. I was like. Just trash talking, you know? Yeah. And so like, the big thing is people were saying, like, if Caitlin Clark did it, people had no problem. And people were saying it's really cool. But then when she did it, like, it was, like, win and grace type deal. Yeah. But, like, it's also a national championship you won. Yeah. I don't have a problem with it because it's just back and forth. Like, that's just, if you aren't a competitor and you're not willing, like, if you're not in the moment like that, then what are you even doing? Like, that's why you can win a national championship is because you're able to do that. But... I don't know. That's the one thing that was kind of annoying to me is because people were kind of like, uh, I forgot the word. It's not ironic. It's like uh, hypocritical. That's what it is. Yes. Hypocritical went to both ways. Yes, it is hypocritical when you think about it. And I think when you look at this game, obviously, I mean, both these teams played very well offensively. LSU just couldn't miss. And yeah, I mean, that was going wild. That was just insane. I think they shot, what, four, four, 54% from the field yeah. the whole game. Yeah. Also, four, four out of the five players are like, when you match up the 5v5, LSU takes a four. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, four to one. Yeah, I was a very one one dimensional team, and they should be around Kalen Clark. But that was the unfortunate when they run into a very very solid deep overall balanced team, team like LSU. You're not going to be you're not going to be really solid. Right, right. The, that was a really tough part. Yeah, but I think when it comes down to the the whole the the, the whole topic about um, the way that that game ended, I mean, I don't have a problem with players showing personality. I mean, I think that kind of adds the juice to the game as all, as it is, right? That's how we get rivalries and that's how we get um, just these the, the allure of some of these games reaching a high level. Um, the thing that was kind of uh, I want to say annoying to to the, the viewer's perspective. I think a lot of people are really mad at this more than actually like, because the actual motion of it back, I mean, right. You mentioned Joe. I mean, that's the players showing their personality of yeah. them being the in moment that moment. Stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the thing was she did it multiple times and for longer times, like rent free Caitlin Clark was in a lot of those LSU players heads and they admitted it in this, in that, in their post game press conferences after the national championship, like yeah, Caitlin was talking trash. We we know we were a better team, and we knew we could beat her and stuff like that. But like they were like there was moments where like I think they went back and like I think Angel did it. I want to say multiple times to her, and for yeah. long experience, like the walk past her, do it, walk past her again, and keep doing it. And it's just like yeah, okay, I get that. But when it comes down to it, what people are probably mad about, and I, I mean, it kind of makes me slightly irritated, is like you're focused on the player more than the game. Which, I mean, that's one thing that, like, shows me, like, Kaylin Clark was a winner from this game. She won this tournament. Like, yeah. LSU won, obviously she won the chip. Stuff, but but Kaylin Clark won this tournament because everybody's thinking about Kaylin Clark more than almost LSU winning the whole thing from that. LSU players are going in to their postgame press conferences after winning a national championship. They're talking about Kaylin Clark. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, she really got in your guys' heads, like, bad. And that whole technical foul situation, I don't know if I want to comment about that call and how that that transpired, but um, it, it was really kind of controversial and questionable in that moment of time. But I think the matter of the fact is uh, a lot of people are just kind of mad about how that was dealt um, and that it really wasn't done in equity and fairness, I guess you could say. You know, obviously you give and you receive the same amount as given back to you kind of thing is really what it feels like in sports. You know, like you you take a jab, you kind of jab back, you're not going getting jabbed and then you're throwing a high kick to the face, you know? Like, I think that's what people are mad about in this situation. And I think that's just kind of the way um, that these players 
players fed up the personality, right? That's why Andrew Reese played so well is that she fed off of that energy and she played really well. Mm-hmm. And that was just something that really got her motor going. And that was something that in that moment we're looking at as, Oh, that's cheap. That's, that that's really yeah. rude. Like, what are you doing? But that's just how she w- played to get to her maximum ability. Right. And Caitlin Clark was a player that was very confident. That's just the style she plays. Cause she plays better with that swagger. Right. That's the personality of these players. And that's the unfortunate thing is obviously, yeah, it does not look great when you have some of the side stuff taking over the fact that we're talking about that right now instead of actually the game itself because it was a really nice basketball game when you look back at it in the stat sheet and looked at the highlights. But unfortunately, I just don't know how you solve that issue because personality is always going to be there in sports because you're going to try to take emotion out of the game. Come on. No way. Yeah. That's the one thing, too. Another big thing that people were talking about was the refs in this game because they were saying they were favoring uh, LSU pretty heavily. Yeah, it was like, noticeable. Was, yeah, I would say it, like, from first, like, it, they definitely did. I mean, if you're really talking about it. Because, I mean, for one, Caitlin Clark gets called for a technical when she kind of throw it, like, just tosses the ball out of bounds a little bit. And she didn't even say anything to the ref. She just kind of tossed the ball to the, to the baseline. She gets tacked up for that. Head coach of LSU, Kim Mulkey, runs into a ref and is like screaming in her face and like doesn't get called for a tech. Like, I don't understand how that's like, I, to be honest, I wanted, I would have win, but like also you can't, you can't deny that. Like that should have been called a technical because anytime that there's contact made with an official by anybody, that should be a tech. And it definitely wasn't accidental because she said she was yelling at that lady that was on the sideline the whole time. And to be able to not have that, I feel like just kind of, of course, I mean, you can't really knock it because LSU just definitely outplayed them most of the game and played incredible. And they definitely won outright. But there was a lot of times where the refs kind of killed some momentum that Iowa had, which was interesting to see. Yeah, I think when you look back at it, I mean, LSU still played a heck of a ball game at the end of the day to win. Uh, I mean, they shot, what, 75% from three in the first half. I mean, absolutely ridiculous, right? Jasmine Carson was a phenomenal, phenomenal player in this game. I mean, she what, had 15, 11, 15 points the entire five mm-hmm. games of the tournament so far. 22-piece after a couple players got into foul trouble early on in that game. I think that was something that was really underrated when it comes to the, the just the recaps of all these games. But uh, I think when you look at it, I think it was still a very solid tournament. I think it was really good um, just from the perspective of the viewer. I mean, this tournament was one of the best rating tournaments in so long for the women's side. And it's yeah. really good to see um, them getting some recognition as well. But uh, I mean, I, I mean, you look back at the stats, unfortunately, and you're looking at the foul columns right there, Joe, you have it pulled up 18 for LSU and Iowa had how many 19. It didn't feel that way during the game. And especially uh, for some of them in the heat of the moment, but Obviously, I hate talking about officiating when it comes to the outcomes of these games um, just because it really just yeah. takes away all from All in all, you just kind of get over it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you got to be able to beat that. I mean, yeah. and, and Iowa wasn't able to Yeah, because so. that's, I mean, we're like, we've had a discussion, like me and Joe have talked to some local officials about some of this stuff, especially. And it's just hard for a lot of these people to go through the idea of like, yeah, we're losing refs because people are being jerks. Like yeah. that's the fact of the matter is like there. And I think the way um, I was talking to a buddy here as we kind of wrap up the show, um, buddy, Austin Arquette, who's a local official known him from Ferris here um, in during his time studying as well. And I mean, the, the way that he put it, I think was a very interesting way uh, of seeing it. They're not yelling at the person they're yelling at the position, right? They're not yelling at you. They're yelling at the stripes. Yeah. And I think some people don't realize that they're doing that. Because in the manner they're doing it, they, it looks like the other way, right? Because they're they're going after the person. Like th- that's the thing is, I know obviously that's they they know that they're going after the position. You talk to many of them, it's like, yeah, I'm just giving them a hard time because I want my team to win or whatever. But some of the things they say at these officials, I don't think they realize how damaging that is to the morale of some of these officials. And that's just something that uh, is going to be investigated for a while because we were losing officials, especially at the local level. Um, and that's going to have to change. Or otherwise, we're going to have to start losing games for a lot of these high schools, uh, high schoolers, uh, middle schoolers, obviously, especially like some of these young kids can't play ball because some people just just can't shut their mouth and they can't really learn to filter what they say because they're mm. they're damaging some of these people to the point where they don't want to officiate anymore. Obviously, I'm not going to get into that fully in the, the method yeah. of the college game, but uh, just kind of want to add that s- snippet here um, to finish my ranting for the day. But <laughs> uh, I mean, still pretty good national championship game. Still certainly was fun to watch. Uh, and I think I'm just glad the I mean, it's just glad the women's 
basketball tournament as a whole they got a lot more exposure especially yeah, after was, the last couple of years ago they got exposure like, well, for the was, wrong reasons now they're yeah, getting it from good basketball yeah there were that the games were really entertaining i feel like the last gripe i have about this is i don't know how caitlin clark didn't win most outstanding player of the tournament i they gave it to angel reese and obviously these two were the best players in the tournament but Caitlin Clark set a multiple records this whole tournament, putting up two 40-point performances in the first 40-point triple-double in any March Madness game, men or women's. And then you drop 30 points with eight and eight, yeah, 30 and eight in the national championship game. And you're, and especially in the final four, you're putting up, I think it was like 75% of the points that were scored were through Caitlin Clark. I feel like if you don't give if you don't give that award to her because like everybody was talking about Caitlin Clark and she put up a clear case to be all the most outstanding player. And I think if you just take it away because her team didn't win the national championship, I just don't understand like what's going to constitute another performance where you can win that and what you more you have to do to be able to do so because Angel Reese wasn't even, even in the final, even in the final game, she was outscored by one, two, three of her teammates. And one of them came off the bench. Yep. And I mean, of course, she was able to be really solid. She got 10 rebounds. She was a pretty dominant force when it came to defense wise. But when you look at the impact that Kaylin Clark has on her team, as well as like everything in the tournament so far and how much conversation she was able to garner with her performances, I feel like you just can't deny her of that most outstanding player award if you're just going to give it to her because just because she won the tournament. That's the one thing I just don't understand. That's the one thing I was really surprised about with this game. Yeah. Caitlin Clark that. should be AP National Player of the Year. There's no, yeah. there's no question. She should have won every award that there was this year. Yeah. I mean, Leah Boston would definitely be up there as well, but I think that's just a, it's just going to be a very interesting look at the tail on how a, this ends up. If you look at who garnered the most attention for women's basketball this year, it was Caitlin Clark because even like at the start of the season, you heard Caitlin Clark is a problem because she's putting up 30 points a night. She gets tossing out from 35, 40 feet and she's able to make threes whenever she wants. And like, if you want to talk about outstanding, influential and that type of stuff, Caitlin Clark's the one to go with. Mm-hmm. That's the one I just, that's, I just didn't know how they would go with Angel Reese with that because Caitlin Clark put up a clear case of why she should have been the most outstanding player of the tournament. Yeah. It's definitely uh uh, an interesting point of view when it comes down yeah. to it. And I think you carry your team to the national championship. Yeah. I it's the impact. So I think here, I mean, obviously Caitlin Clark won the, the AP player of the year already. And I think she rightfully deserves. So uh, I know some people were talking about Aaliyah Boston as well in that conversation, which she had a great season. Um, but I think the biggest thing to me here, final bit is when it looks to the most valuable player, what does that mean? The best player in basketball? Or are you saying the most valuable player to the team? In basketball, right? Yeah. Zach Eady was the most valuable player, AP National Player of the Year. Are you saying because he's the most valuable player in all basketball? Or he was so pivotal to make Purdue a number one seed? Because if you take him away, Purdue's not as good of a team without uh, Zach Eady. Right? Same as Clayton, 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 golly, can't Clayton, speak. Clayton, Caitlin Clark. If you, you take her away, Iowa would not have made the tournament. Correct. And I think that's the bottom line. And so. Also, with the award that you're giving out, one of the most keywords is outstanding. Who do you think about? Okay. Think about women's basketball. Who's the first player that comes to mind? Caitlin Clark. You can ask anybody, even a non-basketball player or a non-basketball fan. Probably That's, knows who Caitlin Clark is. Yeah. That is outstanding to me to be able to, the amount of influence that you have on everybody because you are so good and for how influential you are with your team's success. That's the only thing I can say. Is that if you're going to say outstanding player in the award, you should give it to the most outstanding player of the tournament. Sure. She'll be certainly interesting to see how that conversation goes moving forward. But thank you guys for tuning in for this longer episode. Make sure you subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you get these podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me and Joe, too, as well on Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter. Drop our pro. We can. I mean, they're linked, definitely. You can find them. I have like sure. five followers on Insta- on Twitter, so... I don't even know where your Twitter account is, actually. Uh, I can make it six, but I don't... You can follow me if you want. I'll tell you what it is. Yeah, mine is... Uh, 
I mean, I think I have. I don't. I don't think I have yours. Actually, I have one tweet. Um, I have eight followers. Sorry, one followers following eight. My first tweet and only tweet is put my last ten cents on roulette. Hit the number and one thirty three or one three dollars. We back in it. <laughs> what? Okay, we're gonna have to. What's here? Drop the user so you can get some more Nagster followers. Nagster underscore twelve. Nagster underscore twelve for Joe. Um, and then mine is um. Here's I'm typing in Joe so I can get him that follower. Hey, there's Joe Nagy. Uh, that's a great description, by the way. Uh, mine is uh, <laughs> at B underscore dubs four for those that want to follow my did Twitter. You as to well. follow me? Uh, I, just, hey, I, I did just do followers. Look Let's at that. Go. Joe's got, we need to get Joe some Twitter followers. You can give me some as well, um, but give them to Joe for sure. Thank you guys for tuning in. And until next time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.